Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As we continue our look at our March Madness bracket, these are all-time March Madness moments uh, that I helped seed for March Madness over the last 40 years, uh, or more actually, last 50 years, as we looked and broke up our bracket into four regions. We had the round of 64, that was one region. We had the round of 32 slash Sweet 16 region, then the final four semifinal region, and then, of course, the Elite Eight region. All four regions, and we got to our Sweet 16, which will be available on all social media handles this coming week where you can vote, and we encourage the engagement. The engagement's been great so far, Uh, so a lot to get to. Got great guests for you to listen to on this podcast from various stages over the last, you know, 40-plus years uh, in these moments. So, for example... I'll be joined by UMBC head coach Ryan Odom, who was the head coach, still is, of the Retrievers as they knocked off Virginia in that 16-1 upset a couple of years ago. Jay Wright, Villanova, 2016, Chris Jenkins shot, knocking off North Carolina at the buzzer. He will join me. Bronson Koenig, former Wisconsin Badger, who hit the three-pointer in the corner to knock off Xavier. That's in our bracket. Derek Wittenberg, who launched the shot that Lorenzo Charles snagged out of the air in 1983 for NC State's historic win over Houston at the pit in Albuquerque. We all remember Jimmy V running around looking for someone to hug. Bryce Drew, who hit the shot for Valpo over Ole Miss. Now, former head coach of Andy, now going to be the new head coach, Grand Canyon. He will join me. So plenty of of guests that can break down these historic moments for you. That I love the way they're telling these stories as we recapture those moments. And CBS over the weekend re-aired a number of these games. And, you know, like Jay Wright, Ryan Odom, they watched them. How could they not? Uh, For the first time, at least in its entirety. uh, And they went over the moments with me about what they remember, what they didn't. So I'm really looking forward to everyone hearing those interviews over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. All right, so let's look back before we look forward. I'm going to go round by round, and at the back end, we're going to do a little predictions, all right? So in the round of 64 region, uh, getting to this point, we've got UMBC 18, uh, Lehigh and CJ McCollum in 12, RJ Hunter in 15, and Bryce Drew in 98. That's who's left in this region. In terms of who advanced, um, I really wasn't surprised that we had UMBC versus Paul Jesperson from Northern Iowa. Uh, I thought the Bo Kimball lefty shot in honor of Hank Gathers might knock off CJ McCollum of Lehigh, but clearly more of a modern fan base knows him from the Blazers. Not surprised there. Um, thought there'd be a little bit more love for Steve Nash and Santa Clara beating Arizona, but once again, more modern Dante Ingram and Loyola Chicago, their buzzer beater to get their run going. So I was not as surprised by that. Last week, we had Mitch Henderson from Princeton on. He was part of that upset of UCLA 96. That did not get past RJ Hunter. I think people love buzzer beaters. That's why. Uh, the Steph Curry 40-point game against Gonzaga, not surprised there. But here's a good example. Modern didn't beat 20 years ago because Bryce Drew's shot beat Steph Curry to advance to the next round. All right, in the final four region, championship round, uh, I was thrilled to see Texas Western advance to the Sweet 16. Um, thought that Modern might give the Gordon Hayward heave in 2010, that that might upset it, but people saw the truth in Texas Western. And by the way, the shot didn't go down, so not surprising there. Um MJ game winner 
advanced. Um, you you know Virginia's redemption title. I thought maybe modern voters might push that past NC State eighty three. No, and NC State eighty three. Look, this is funny. They beat Michael Jordan during that run, and they beat him again in this tournament um, to get to the Sweet 16 matchup with Texas Western. Uh, Duke's streak against UNLV did not get past Wisconsin. They're upset of Kentucky, but Magic Bird, you knew that would advance. So I'm not surprised at all that that advanced uh, past Wisconsin-Kentucky, and they're in the uh, Sweet 16. The Chalmers shot. Over the Keith Smart game winner, I know people were a little upset that I had it as a 10 seed, whatever. Uh, that was over the weekend. Bill Self did a great job of live tweeting that. And then you got Chris Jenkins shot versus Indiana's perfect season. A lot of complaints that that was a 15 seed. Sorry. I went with uh, buzzer beater over um, an undefeated season. I know. And then Jenkins over Chalmers shot. Not surprised at all by that. All right. So now let's go to the... Round of 32, Sweet 16 region. Uh, glad to see Danny Ainge advance, but he couldn't get past Trey Burke. Trey Burke goes on. Uh, U.S. Reed, glad to see more of that, love. Uh, and going against Dunk City, I was kind of surprised by this, that Florida Gulf Coast went to the Sweet 16. So once again, they're a Cinderella. Uh, the game winner for Gonzaga, which started their run of the last 20 years, couldn't get past Chris Chioza and Florida. Surprising. Not surprising that Jordan Poole shot for Michigan over Houston advanced all the way to the Sweet 16. The Jimmermania goes against uh, Farouk Manish's shot for Northern Iowa against Kansas. By the way, I want to direct you to Colorado State. Great post by Farouk Manish and his family recreating it at Moby Arena at Colorado State. With his, uh, with his baby with a Kansas shirt crying. That was classic. You got to check that out. They recreated that. Great use of social media. Jimmer Media knocked that off. But then Bronson Koenig beats not only Tyson Tyus Edney's buzzer beater in 95. That was against Missouri on their way to the championship. But then Bronson Koenig knocks off Jimmer Mania. So interesting matchup there. And our last grouping of the Elite Eight rage, region, no surprise, Christian Leitner has moved all the way on. Uh, George Mason beating out Scotty Reynolds. A little surprising there. The Luke May game winner got to the next round, but not advancing past Illinois. This will be interesting. Do you have Leitner Duke fans or Illinois fans come out in droves in that Elite Eight matchup, which was one of the best games, and we heard from Roger Powell last week about that game against Arizona in 2005. Dwayne Wade's triple-double advanced. VCU's comeback beat UCLA's, or VCU over Kansas, beat UCLA's comeback over Gonzaga. I was a little surprised by that one. And then VCU, Cinderella again. They have advanced to the Sweet 16. That surprised me. Loyola Chicago to the Final Four, getting uh, past Michigan State over Duke last year. Not surprising at all. Diakite's shot getting past Loyola. Very interesting. So now you've got Diakite versus VCU. Okay. And then Illinois versus Leitner. We'll get to some predictions here shortly. But uh, I was, you know, a little surprised. Um, I thought there might be some more Michigan State fans that might go after that. So that is where we are at this point. Now let's advance and reflect back on some of our moments that have advanced. And we want to start off with Ryan Odom. Um, there's no question that this, uh, upset will live for, you know, as long as we cover the NCAA tournament, this is going to live for a long, long time. And so let's look at that matchup before we hear from Ryan Odom and you've got UMBC versus CJ McCollum. This will be very interesting matchup here between a historic upset and, a name brand in terms of now in the Blazers, uh, CJ McCollum. The other bo- bottom part of the bracket, and we'll get to this shortly, Bryce Drew and R.J. Hunter of uh, Georgia State upsets. So uh, this will be interesting. I'll get to my predictions on the back end here, but let's first hear from Ryan Odom, the head coach of UMBC. Incredible performance. 
Shock and awe in college basketball. UMBC makes history in Charlotte. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, as we continue our March Madness Moments bracket. And we are on to the Sweet 16 and the UMBC upset of Virginia uh, that occurred on March 16th, 2018, uh, a uh, 74-54. I think people forget that it was by 20. 74-54 victory over Virginia. Uh, That has made its way into our Sweet 16. Uh, UMBC will take on C.J. McCollum's 2012 upset, leading Lehigh over Duke. And Ryan Odom, the head coach of UMBC, joins me now. And Ryan, first of all, uh, what are the chances you watch the re-air of that epic win on CBS over the weekend? 100%. Um, you know, as my my wife and kids, you know, from time to time when I come back into the house, they'll, they'll actually have it on, you know, occasionally. <laughs> Not all the time, but uh, they certainly uh, won't let me forget that one. You know, they're proud of their uh, their team and and coaches. So, in watching it again, um, would you see that uh, a brought back maybe some you know uh, unbelievable memories or even things that you maybe forgot about uh, in a couple of years' time in in the manner in which that victory was able to be pulled off? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that that stuck out to me uh, as I was watching it, because that, you know, that was really the first time that I've watched it from beginning to end. I've watched pieces of it, but never like a, a beginning to end kind of thing. Um, obviously historic moment, you know, uh, for, for everyone that was, was watching and involved, you know, the defense is really what stuck out to me. Um, you know, that was a focus for us uh, going back to the year prior at the end of the season you know, we left a lot to be desired on the defensive side of the ball. And, and that was certainly a focus going into the beginning of that next season. And to see us play that night, we would have had no chance, um, you know, because they're so tough to score on, um, you know, each and every game. We felt like defensively we had to hold our own there and make it equally tough for them. And, you know, I felt like, you know, both teams were really struggling early in that first half to get a clean look. And we were controlling the glass, and that kept us in it uh, until we were able to to get our offense going. So, so what's it like to watch? I mean, I, as you said, you've seen pieces of it, but knowing what was historically going to happen, uh, and as as you're watching it, I mean, how much were you building with excitement, even though you knew what the outcome was? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of emotion there. There's things that you forget, you know, that happened within the game, and and. You know, when when timeouts were called, I mean, just the, the, the little things that that coaches will remember what plays were run, uh, what actions we tried to, you know, create or slash exploit. Um, you know, one thing that I noticed was just our guys were offensively. They they really paid attention. You, know, you go back to the preparation for the game. You think about the practices leading up to it and what you you know tried to, you know, uh, hit on going in. Um and, and, you know, a lot of times it works, you know, sometimes it doesn't, you know, for us coaches, you go in and it, it doesn't go the way you, you, you planned it. And certainly this is a unique situation. You know, they, they were without DeAndre Jordan, I mean, DeAndre Hunter, you know, which, uh, you know, clearly it was a factor in the game because they didn't have that isolation guy to go to. And, and on the defensive side of the ball, they didn't have the guy that, you know, the stopper, so to speak, um, and and they they didn't have time to prepare either. You know that's the other the other factor in there. But um, not taking anything away from our guys, but the the way our guys moved the ball in that game was was really impressive. So the other thing, Ryan, that that you know obviously this is still fresh in people's minds, and I know this is just one Twitter social media poll on our various uh, social media platforms at March Madness, but uh, I think it also speaks volumes that there's still so much interest in this that, uh, you know, it's moved along in our just fictitious, you know, fun March Madness moments. Uh, what does that tell you about still the reach of this, that people still want to get on board, vote for this game, this moment uh, in its significance and move it along just even in this bracket? 
Yeah, I mean, what we learned, you know, having gone through it, you know, obviously it meant a ton to us. And it's hard to even put into words what it meant to our university and our, our team, you know, as a whole. But, you know, what we learned over time was that it meant so much to so many other people that followed March Madness. And that's why I think this is so cool, what you guys are doing, what you put together here, because, you know, you really go back and it forces you to go back and think about all the historic things that have happened over the years. And to just be mentioned as part of that history is is really humbling, um, you know, quite honestly. And I think it's really cool for us to go from a, a 16 seed to all of a sudden we're the one seed or one of the one <laughs> seeds. <laughs> so I think I think really the way this should end, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm right, but I, I really feel that the way this this should end is you should have UMBC in the final against the redemption team in the final. And so then we'll see who wins it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be obviously a, a great way to end it. Um, uh, so Ryan, we're having fun with this. We're all, I mean, not necessarily in quarantine, but we're all staying at home to some degree uh, during this uh, global pandemic. Um, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, how are you as a coach trying to cope with this uh, in staying in touch with your team um, you know, I, and I know this to be true that a lot of athletes rely on the meals on campus, the medical on campus, the tutoring when there's a huge void and all that's taken away and they suddenly have to do this all on their own in their respective home cities and their homes. Uh, how is this affecting, uh, your players? Yeah, it's really tough. Um, you know, we had to make a quick decision. I'll give you one example of, of the decisions that we all have to make. I'm sure there there were some out there that were tougher than this, but, you know, once the decision was made where we're, you know, we're, we were going to you know send the guys home for spring break, you know, we finished up the Vermont game, but and came back and they were heading out on spring break. We have two kids from, from London, England. And, uh, and so we had to make the decision of whether to let them go all the way home and, you know, risk them not being able to, to get back in the country, you know, to finish up school um, or just keep them here. And, you know, we ended up letting them go home, which obviously was the right, the right call now, but not really knowing, you know, are we going to continue school, which we've since, you know, canceled the remainder of school. It's going to be all online. But I mean, there, there were some tough decisions that, you know, I'm sure across the country, a lot of coaches had to make. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, we've just tried to, you know, we've got a group chat that we're all on. Uh, they're going to start their workouts, you know, coming up here soon. And uh, we'll try to do that, you know, uh, video, you know, set them a bunch of video and, and stuff like that so they can continue to do do their lifting and things like that to try to get at least a little bit better from that regard. And then you're, you know, from a staffing standpoint, we're having to do video conferencing and, and things of that that nature to kind of stay connected with one another because the worst thing that could happen is for us to all kind of go on vacation here and go in our own way and, and not get better so i think like most universities around the, around the country um you know we're trying to still do our jobs to the best of our ability and do it remotely uh but at the same time you know, be very, uh, you know, conscious of, of what's right for the world and, uh, and, and staying, you know, in our homes and, and doing what's right there from a social distancing standpoint, um, you know, which is so important, obviously. This is a unique time, you know, for all of us, and uh, we are going to get through it. I'm confident of that, um, but we all have to do our part, of course. Well, I appreciate that, Ryan, uh, and uh, I know we all share the sentiment. Uh, so that's why we're trying to bring a little levity uh, with this March Madness moment, and it seems like everyone's on board with this, and it's great to celebrate uh, a historic win that you guys had, and and we'll see how uh, UMBC does the, the rest of the way here this weekend with the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight uh, as we progress <laughs> forward. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And again, congrats on what you're doing. This is really cool. All right. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Andy. Take care, brother. All right. So I kind of think that they're going to pull this off and I think UMBC will advance to the Elite Eight. All right? So I think UMBC goes to the Elite Eight. How about the bottom part of the bracket? R.J. Hunter versus Bryce Drew. Here's Bryce Drew on that historic shot. It's to Jenkins. The Drew for the win. Good. Oh! He did it. Bryce Drew did it. Falpo has won the game. 
A miracle! And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Bryce Drew, who's the new head coach of Grand Canyon University. And uh, the last season, uh, spent the season as an analyst for ESPN. But for our purposes here, for the March Madness moment bracket, uh, the Bryce Drew shot, we're calling it from 98, Valpo over Ole Miss. Uh, It was a two seed in my bracket, and it has now advanced to the Sweet 16 in a bracket with uh, R.J. Hunter's Shot in 2015. Uh, top part of the bracket is the UMBC upset of Virginia in 2018. And then C.J. McCollum's upset with Lehigh over Duke in 2012. So a winnable bracket for Bryce Drew. But let's first go back to the shot. Uh, you and I have talked about this countless times. It's in, It's got a mural over Valpo. It's there for history for always everyone to see in northern Indiana. Um, as we bring this back up. For those in this generation that don't remember it, what do you remember the most about that shot in 98? I remember the most, uh, you know, hugging my dad, uh, being able to celebrate with my brother, who's now the head coach at Baylor, uh, you know, on the bench, and then going back to the Holiday Inn. So I can vividly remember at the Holiday Inn looking at the tube TV and seeing them, Chris Fowler, replay the highlights of the game. And uh, most of the team was in the room, and we were just like – so excited they were showing our highlights, you know, on TV and that we won the game. The play itself, um, you know, to me, actually, there's a little symmetry with the Villanova game winning shot uh, where, you know, Chris Jenkins hits the shot to beat North Carolina uh, in 2016 because that was so seamless. They had no time left, but it, it just felt like the shuffle pass from Archie Diacono to Jenkins. He's in rhythm. He shoots it. Bang. End of game. Yours, uh, you know, years before felt the same way. Everything just seemed like in rhythm that it, it, it just all happened smoothly. Uh, take me through that part. I mean, how, how you know, seamless was it in, in a matter of seconds? You, you know, in talking to my dad, who was coaching, he, he, he'll always say to this day that he felt like he did his job uh, before the play even happened. We were out of timeouts. The ball got relocated on a missed free throw. And we had several seniors on the court, you know, audible. And the play that we had called changed it to a different game ending play because there was less time on the clock and the location of the ball. And so my dad will say he felt really good because his team was prepared and they knew what to do um, sitting back. We, we, we had practiced that play a lot. We had run it once earlier in the year, Andy, and it, and it did not work. And so we changed our personnel around to put our, 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 our best uh, jumper to be able to catch the pass to, to, to make it to myself. And as you look at the dynamic of the play, we had three seniors. We had a pro baseball player who was drafted by the Diamondbacks make the long court pass. We had um, uh, a 6'6 forward that turned down volleyball offers in the Pac-12 because he had a 40-inch vertical. He was the one that caught the pass and then made it. And then, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, I kind of had the easiest part because um, I just had to catch and shoot. I know we've talked about this before as well, but just now years, decades later, um, how, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but I mean, what does it make you feel that this still lives on as not just an iconic NCAA tournament moment, but certainly in the history of Valparaiso? You know, there's moments in life that, that things happen and you, you know that it's maybe going to be a big deal down the road. And then there's other moments that happen and you have no, you don't even think about, Hey, this could be relevant, you know, years from now. And, 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 that play was definitely in, in the, the latter half of that. I was just so thrilled, and we were so thrilled as a program that we won a game in the NCAA tournament, which was which was our goal going into the season. Um, that we never never dreamed that that they'd be playing it. You know, ten years later, twenty years later, you know, that I'd be able to talk talk to you about it. You know, twenty plus years, you know, after the actual play. So um, it, it's been a bonding moment, I think, for our school, for you know, our community. And, you know, for all of our teammates, it was such a great, such a great moment, you know, something that, that we'll have with us forever. All right. So I gave you the foursome there. <laughs> RJ Hunter shot for Georgia State. CJ McCollum Lehigh upset over Duke. UMBC over Virginia. What, what chances do you give the fan voting, especially up in northern Indiana, of getting this shot advancing in our March Madness moment bracket? Yeah, you, you know, uh, obviously I'm biased. Hopefully we're advancing in the bracket. 
you know, a lot boils down to, to, to fan bases. Sometimes who has the biggest fan base uh, that votes, but those are all very deserving plays. You know, uh, obviously the RJ Hunter just still drives a heart or a, a knife in my heart because, you know, we knew the Hunters growing up. We were in the same league, you know, and so Scott and, and, and Ron and all of us, we've known each other for so long. And, and just the irony of him losing that game to the coach's son making a shot, which we go back to our play was the coach's son making a shot to win. So, so much irony in that play. Um, but hopefully the fans are going to rally and hopefully uh, that moment will carry me uh, past those three. All right. So uh, your new day job, you're the new head coach, Grand Canyon uh, in the Phoenix area, a program out of the whack that Dan Marley uh, helped resuscitate uh, and, uh, you know, has unlimited potential. There's no question about it, but we're dealing with a global pandemic. Uh, I mean, no other way around it that this is uh, a first for in, in our lifetimes. Um, so how, how do you how do you build a program, take over a program? You're living in Nashville um, and not be able to connect physically with your staff, your players, the administration, any of that for the foreseeable future. How, how do you manage this? You know, the great thing is technology. You know, so much of the job is done over phone, um, over FaceTime, um, Zoom. So you can do a lot of things. You know, I, I've kind of it's been funny. My wife's been joking. I've been locked in my office at my house and she's actually just been bringing me food. You know, as I eat at my desk, and I make phone calls, you know, pretty much for, for, for this whole last week. So technology is, is tremendous. You know, I, I think just going through this transition a few years ago at Vanderbilt has, has really helped me um, to be able to make this one even smoother just in the people that I need to make contact with over the phone and, and just in steps and proceed. And so pretty much the goal is once that date is open, you know, to have recruits, obviously to have, you know, you know, people ready to visit, you know, ready for, you know, the players to get back and work out. So we'll have a lot of things laid out and ready for whenever that day is. Well, you know how I feel about your family, best to your parents. Um, and more than anything, uh, I firmly believed you deserved another chance after what happened at Vanderbilt. So I'm so thrilled for you to get this opportunity and we will get through this. We will be on the other side and you will be coaching at Grand Canyon. I know doing wonderful things in Arizona. So, uh, Bryce, I appreciate your time and stay safe. Uh, and we're going to get to the other side. Always great being with you, Andy, and make sure you bring your sunglasses when you come down to Phoenix. All right. I will. I'm going to go with Bryce Drew here. I think the shot that Drew hit will advance past R.J. Hunter. So that means we have a UMBC versus Bryce Drew. And it's funny, as Ryan Odom said, it's kind of funny. They were a 16 seed. Now they're a one seed. So how do they handle being in the Elite Eight in that favored position? Well, I'm going to tell you, I think when we reconvene next week out of this part of the bracket, UMBC will be in our version of the March Madness Moments Final Four. All right, let's shift to the round of 32 Sweet 16 part of the bracket. So here's what we have left. We have Trey Burke and Dunk City. That's top part of the bracket. Jordan Poole versus Bronson Koenig. So before we get to our predictions, this matchup here, um, well, you know what? I want you to hear the way I describe it to Bronson about the difference between the pool shot and the Koenig shot and see what you think. Here's Bronson Koenig. Here we go. Two to go. Trip to the Sweet 16. Koenig's got it. Rises up. The shot. And it's good! It's good! Wisconsin has won it! And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Bronson Koenig, formerly of Wisconsin. Uh, the shot that Bronson hit over Xavier in uh, the second round is now in our Sweet 16. It did catapult the Badgers to the Sweet 16 uh, in 2016. And now it's opposite the Jordan Poole shot in the second round against Houston. That happened in 2018. Other two events in this bracket, Trey Burke, 2013, and then uh, Florida Gulf Coast's run of Dunk City that same season. All right, so first let's go back to the shot 
Bronson. I know it's been replayed countless times on social media over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, what do you remember most about that game-winning buzzer beater over Xavier? Um, I mean, it was kind of one of those games where, you know, you were just in that flow state, you know, that zone that uh, a lot of athletes talk about. And I remember, I think I had hit like maybe six threes that game. And to be honest, I think I think you guys should put in the shot that I hit right before that to tie it up that nobody really remembers. But in, I obviously remember that being actually a tougher shot um, than the. I remember shot. we talked about that. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was actually a tougher shot to me because it was from like thirty feet, and it was we were down three. Shot clock was going down. Guy was in my face, and I just hoisted it up. I'm like, all right, this this feels way short. But then it went in and I was like, all right, perfect. <laughs> so that's what kind of set set me up, my confidence in my mind, mind state going into the into the last shot there. And I went to, over to Ethan, uh, Ethan Happ, who was inbounding it. And I told him, I'm going to I'm going to be open, like pass me the ball. And uh, Coach Carr drew up the play and uh, I got open. And uh, luckily he listened to me and um, I stepped back and that's a shot that I kind of had practiced a thousand times before. And I, and it felt so good going off my hands. I'm like, that's either right on or way off. <laughs> and it fell through the net. And yeah. The other thing too is that, and I don't think the pass gets as much credit that mm -hmm. if it, I'm trying to remember this exactly, it was a side inbounds and he's passing to the corner. Is that correct? Yeah, with a guy draped all over him. Too, right, which... so that's a very difficult pass to connect. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, The significance of that, you know, I, and I think that sometimes this gets lost to the larger significance for that team, that time in Wisconsin basketball history, which is just now, you know, uh, shockingly, it's already four years ago. Um, you know, the transition from Bo Ryan to Greg Gard, and for you guys to advance to the Sweet 16, what was the significance of advancing, not just in that manner, but also, you know, going the year after uh, you guys were within five minutes of winning the national championship? Yeah, I mean, we were definitely spoiled uh, our first two years, you know, the whole program and fans and everyone, and especially us coming in as freshmen going to back to back Final Fours like that. We knew we had a lot of responsibility to make another deep run. Um, and it was a tough year for myself. I remember, uh, my junior year was definitely tough, but not only, not only for myself, but for the whole team, uh, the program, uh, coach guard and everything like that. I think we had a really rough start. Um, but obviously it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. So, and I think we, um, I think we carried the torch pretty well, uh, after that national championship run, uh, and making it to the sweet 16 and then almost making it to the elite eight. So I thought it was just really good for, for everybody, for our fans, for our programs, and then setting us up for that uh, for that next year uh, going into our uh, senior year. You know, it's crazy, and I didn't plan this, okay? <laughs> but when we put the bracket together, believe it or not, uh, had the Jordan Poole shot not knocked off Chris Chioza uh, from the year after, okay, we would have had a matchup again of Wisconsin-Florida in the Sweet 16. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that would have been that would have meant a lot. Because <laughs> then you could have at least beat them. Yeah, you could have beaten them in this form, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, look, uh, obviously uh, the fan base has come out strong here, as we knew they would. Uh, so just your competition in our in our March Madness moment bracket, how would you compare your shot versus what Jordan Poole did for Michigan two years later in uh, their win over Houston? Two Wisconsin guys, Jordan Poole from Milwaukee and me from Lacrosse. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory on his shot exactly. Well, was it, it was a three-pointer. This is the year they played for the national championship. It's in the second round, and it's just like he spread eagles, just hurls it at the buzzer, and then just like running around crazy, running everywhere. I remember that, but I don't remember like the exact. I can't picture it in my mind, but I, I remember that happening. So it's kind of hard for me to say, obviously, in non-biased opinion, I'm going to say my, my shot was better. Yes. <laughs> Just because of, uh, like I said, the shot before, the 30-foot one from before, and then that one. Uh, just, uh, I mean, we were... And I also would say this. I mean, look, I haven't been in that position. You tell me. I think a running three where, you know, you're sort of, you're trailing the play, you're at the top is... 
and I'm using this loosely, but an quote easier shot than what yours was was deep oh, in the corner. Yeah, I do remember that now. He kind of just he kind of stepped right into it. Yes, you know what I mean? that's a routine practice shot. Come yes, on now. give me the give me the W. <laughs> yes, because you're in the corner, you know, almost oh. falling out of bounds. By step the, back yes step curry like <laughs> where there's not a lot of space fell into my bench yeah i fell into my bench too didn't fall fall but you know backed up into my bench <laughs> so anyway before i let you go bronson uh obviously we're dealing with a historic situation global pandemic you were in italy in the preseason uh originally you were going to play there but then you're playing uh now in the g league before everything got shut down um you know how are you able to basically stay in shape here. I know we're only basically probably a week in, but uh, how are you managing uh, that aspect of just trying to stay in shape with the unknown of knowing when you would ever be back on the court? Uh, well, I'm kind of taking it as we're definitely not going to be back on the court this season. So I've pretty much been taking this last week as on a, as a vacation, um, but I'm definitely going to start working out here again, doing some at-home workouts and core stuff and push-ups and all of that kind of, and probably going to try to find somebody with a treadmill or an elliptical in their house and just kind of stay in shape and just try to utilize these next, uh, I don't know, two, three months or however long really as to the best of my ability. So I can come out, you know, come out of this thing better than before. So have we'll you see. been in touch with anyone? Uh, and I know you didn't stay there, but, uh, from any of the Italian team or anything like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely have a lot of, uh, friends there now um that i'm in touch with pretty often and they say it's just horrible and they were pretty much the first ones to kind of downplay this whole thing and you know as you see i mean just being there and just seeing the culture they had the family culture they have and how tight-knit you know their family structures are there it's pretty uh sad to see what's going on well more than anything stay safe uh and uh you know appreciate you just you know having a little fun with us here with this but um you know hopefully sooner than later we'll be on the other side all right. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, what, what does the winner get of, uh, of the bracket? <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, we haven't okay. made that decision yet. We're just trying to have some fun here. Uh, pass the time <laughs> as we're all homebound. All right. I'll keep my eye out. <laughs> all right. All the best Bronson. Appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. See ya. All right. So who advances to the elite eight? Now this will be interesting. Michigan fan base versus Wisconsin fan base. Even though the Michigan-Houston shot catapulted Michigan ultimately to the national championship game a couple rounds later, I I still agree with Bronson. I think it was a harder shot in the corner. I'm going to go with Koenig and Wisconsin advancing the lead eight against Trey Burke. So two Michigan matchups for Wisconsin here. Koenig, Poole, Koenig, Burke. Who's in our final four next week? Here's the deal. Burks was a game tying shot. I'm going to go with a prediction here. I think the Wisconsin shot in the corner. Badger fans are going to come out. I think Wisconsin and Bronson Koenig will advance to our final four March Madness moments out of this region next week. All right, let's shift to the Elite Eight. We've got Leitner and Illinois, one side of the bracket. VCU and Diakite. So the Leitner shot goes down as one of the greatest shots endings all time in the history of this sport. The game between Arizona and Illinois was an unbelievable back and forth game, crazy atmosphere at Allstate Arena in Chicago. I just can't see Leitner losing this one. The drama, it's Duke, Kentucky versus Illinois, Arizona. Uh, I got to believe the fan bases will turn out. And even though Kentucky fans may actually vote for Illinois here, you know, there's a reason I had it as a one seed. I think they advance to the Elite Eight or this shot advances to the Elite Eight. So now VCU 11 versus Diakite 19. That's the Diakite quick shot to tie Purdue going to overtime. Ultimately, they win that game, get to the Final Four. I think that will advance over VCU. It was more dramatic. And so now you've got a Duke-Virginia matchup. Diakite shot tied a game in the Elite Eight. 
Leitner's won a game in the Elite Eight. So I think it should be Leitner, and it is a one versus two in my bracket. But this will be interesting. Will the Duke fans come out here? Or will Virginia fans, who are very active on social media, take this one? I'm going to still go with my mind here and say Leitner, more important, it won it versus tying it. Well, there was drama both ways, but certainly a little more drama. Uh, I'm going with Leitner to advance to the Final Four out of the Elite Eight because that's exactly what that shot did in 92 over Kentucky. All right, so let's advance to the Final Four region that includes the national championship game. Uh, Let's start at the bottom part of the bracket first. So you got Magic Bird 79 versus Chris Jenkins 2016, okay? What this is, and this should be, this is a loaded Final Four, by far our best Final Four of any of the regions, okay? So over the weekend... Jay Wright watched this game back with his family. So let's hear from Jay Wright, his thoughts on Chris Jenkins' shot and that game in 2016 to win the national championship. With Archie Diakono, three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. National champions with Jenkins hitting the winner at the buzzer. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Villanova head coach Jay Wright. And as we look at our March Madness moments, uh, there were actually two uh, Villanova March Madness moments that made our bracket. Uh, Obviously, the Chris Jenkins game winner for the national championship in 2016 over North Carolina. But there was also, we wanted to make sure we include in the Elite Eight, the Scotty Reynolds coast-to-coast buzzer beater in 2009 in the Elite Eight that knocked off Pitt. That game was in Boston. Uh, that did not advance as far. It went up against George Mason. That was beaten. It was in the same bracket as the Christian Leitner shot. But yes, the Chris Jenkins shot is certainly alive and well in our bracket. And CBS re-aired the game over the weekend. And Jay, first of all, I think I know the answer, but how much did you watch of that re-air? <laughs> uh I had never watched uh, on TV that 16 game until yesterday. After the game, I watched I watched it uh, on my computer to, um, you know, like you always do after the game in case you play Carolina the next year. You know, you have your notes on the game. But our whole family sat down yesterday and we watched it, and uh, it was it was really cool. As crazy as this coronavirus is, and most important is that, you know, the people that are, are affected right now and our healthcare workers, that's most important. Um, but you, you do take the positives out of that. Just yesterday afternoon to be able to share that with our family, having everybody together. Cause we're all, we're all locked in here. was, was pretty cool. All right. So what did you see now? Um, uh, almost four years. Well, I, yeah. So four years removed. Uh, what'd you see in watching it that maybe you missed, uh, you know, experiencing it live? Uh, a lot. I was amazed at how much I didn't remember, you know, specific shots like Paige's shot and Daniel Chepu when we were up three and we had a timeout and we knew they were going to go for three. We knew they were going to go to Paige and we switched the screen on Paige and Daniel Chepu was right there for the steal. I still watch yesterday and I watched the replay. I still don't know how he didn't, steal that pass he was right there it was an act of god for that pass to go through and then to see the shot that page hit again like that i remember all that clear as day i didn't remember the missed free throws after we had the 10 point lead i didn't remember that as much i didn't remember what a ferocious rebounder josh hart was in that game um it's funny, I didn't remember people that were sitting behind the bench, you know, just the shots of Roly Massimino, Mike Fratello, and Ed Pinkney, and Kyle Lowry, right in, my, in our family, right behind them. I didn't realize where everybody was sitting. That was really cool. There, there, was, there was so many things that I really didn't remember. It was really cool to relive it. I mean, I know you've seen the highlight, and you and I have talked, uh, you know, at the Finn where we saw the floor. 
um, you know, that that's now a part of history there on Villanova's campus. But, you know, the thing I, I, I that struck me yesterday again and again is how everything was was within rhythm. It was when most the shuffle pass from Ryan, like it just all flowed. There was no hesitation, obviously, from Chris. I mean, you didn't have any time, but still, it just looks so seamless. How much did you did you you see that aspect, too? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Like sitting there watching them line up and you're watching Daniel Cheflu mop up the floor. And I, and I was watching, I wanted to see like how the communication between Ryan and Chris, because North Carolina did push up on um, Ryan and it did push up on Daniel Cheflu was up the floor. And our response to that normally is to hit Daniel and then Daniel hit Arch. But for them to recognize even though they were up guarding Ryan closely to, for Chris to recognize, I can get him the ball. Daniel set the screen. It went so smoothly. The timing was so perfect. Chris catching it in rhythm. And also the shot going through the net, the boom, of, the boom of the confetti, the confetti pouring down perfectly on time. It was, it was like a movie. It was unbelievable. And I do remember, after that, you, know, I, you hear Jim Nance saying, uh, if this shot's not good, they're going to have a lot of problems because they have to clear up. They're going to have to clean off this court. And uh, I do remember after that, the NCAA talking about, okay, we can't do that anymore. We have to make sure that the shot's good before we shoot confetti. And I, as you've watched other games since then, you, <laughs> you can see there's like a big delay before the confetti comes down. Now your reaction, uh, you know, still goes down to me. It's one of the more, almost like shock uh, when you see yourself, which is hard for any of us to do, and how calmly you walk to shake Roy's hand. You sort of glance to your left. I mean, I, how surprised are you to see your sort of your demeanor in that crazy historic moment? You know, years later, that part I had seen because people talk about that and ask me about it. I'm kind of, uh, you know, a little bit uneasy with it now because it, it kind of looks like I kind of put my hands up like I didn't care. It wasn't – I just knew that we had no control of whether the shot went in or not, you know, and I – we just had control of how we how we executed and what our mindset was coming out of the huddle. And I was so proud of our guys in the huddle because we had made a lot of mistakes prior – to that 4.7 seconds, giving up the three, missing free throws, turning the ball over, giving up a baseline out of bounds, three, that for our guys to keep a great mindset in the huddle and came out with great confidence, I knew that's what we controlled, and I was very happy about that. And I knew whether the shot went in or not was, was God's will. I, and so when it went in, my thought was kind of like, oh, my God, I, how about that, that's that's incredible. And then, then I was thinking about Roy, kind of like I was, my hands were up, kind of thinking like Roy, like what can I say? It could could have went either way. And then our assistants jumped on me, so I, it really meant a lot to me. But I, I was more at the time thinking like it's really out of our hands, it's in God's hands. And then then you got to think about Roy, who was right there, like he he was right there. He said, "I'm so happy for you." I, you know, I felt bad for him. All right, so in this matchup that we have in our March Madness moments, this is quite a matchup because it's history versus drama. Uh, Magic Bird 79, which had historic significance but was not a buzzer beater, versus your buzzer beater versus North Carolina here in the Sweet 16. How do you think that could play out? What is our goal, like the most impactful game or the most exciting game? Or what, what, How are we... Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was given the charge of, okay, come up with these moments that can be, you know, either a game winner or the significance. So in your bracket, your region, um, you know, number one to me was Texas Western because of the historic significance of what that did for decades after to have the first all African-American starting five win a national championship against Kentucky in 1966. Uh, and that has advanced in this bracket as well. Uh, so, I mean, this, I mean, think about this foursome we have here, Texas Western 66, Jimmy VNC state 83 magic bird 79 and Chris Jenkins Villanova in 2016. How about that foursome? That's awesome, man. Uh, it's really cool. You, 
it's really cool you're doing that. I, I would, I would honestly say if you, and I think you're right on. If you're looking at uh, the most thrilling, most exciting, I think, uh, I think Chris Jenkins shot because it was legitimate play and shot. Um, and also that game was such a great game that that would be the number one moment and game. About, and then the NC State would be number two. If you're thinking about the impactful game in terms of its impact on college basketball and history, I'd like your seeding with Texas Western and Kentucky and then Magic Bird. And then even NC State in terms of impactful would be bigger. Like Villanova beating Carolina that year, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was – I think it was the best game, the way that game went back and forth. But NC State, that upset was pretty incredible. You know, if not for Villanova-Georgetown, I think Villanova-Georgetown was the greatest upset. Then I think that game was the biggest upset. So if you went for impact, I'd put NC State third and us fourth. If you went for the moment and the game, I'd put us number one. All right, last thing on this. uh, I glossed over at the beginning. I'm just curious. In your program's history, uh, it didn't advance as far. But um, what was the significance of Scotty Reynolds' basket in 2009? Oh, you know, obviously that shot was the biggest shot, I think, um, in Villanova history before Chris Jenkins shot. Uh, the shot in Villanova history that might be next biggest uh, before Chris Jenkins was Harold Jensen's jumper in the Georgetown game in 85 to seal the game. So it would have been Harold Jensen, then Scotty Reynolds shot because, you know, from 85 until that point, we hadn't been to a Final Four. And to put Villanova in the Final Four in the current era, in that type of situation, in another great game, that shot was huge. Because as you know better than anybody, Andy, in our business, a program a lot of times is evaluated based on getting to the Final Four. National championships are huge, but they're so rare. Getting to the Final Four kind of solidifies you as a nationally prominent program. So even though we had won it in 85 and we were in the Final Four in 39 and 71, it had been a long time. So Scotty Brown's shot was huge to get us to the Final Four. Uh, and I tell you, I'm, I'm – uh... Definitely blessed that I was at both of those events in Boston and, of course, at the Final Four uh, in 2016. Uh, before I let you go, Jay, um, you know, we mentioned, obviously, the reason we're doing this is because of the historic situation we're all in in the global pandemic. I'm just curious, um, how are you connecting with your players, um, you know, at this time where they're used to, obviously, they, now they'd be used to dealing with the tournament, but even just being on campus and all the... Uh, for lack of a better term, amenities or things that they take for granted, whether it's food, medical, training. Now, now they don't have that. Now they got to be at home. How, how, how are you guys dealing with that with your players and trying to keep them connected in some form? Yeah, it's a great challenge for all of us. Um, my Our initial um, plan here is to get them to take time off. And it's, it's so bizarre to say this, but we had such an intense season and uh, we had a real hard summer. We worked really hard this summer because we knew that I was going away with the world cup team in, in uh, August and September. So because of that, we worked really hard in June and July and, and then the assistants ran everything in the beginning of September and then the way our schedule went, we didn't get a, a real a buy late in the season with the Big East schedule because we had Connecticut and Temple non-conference games. So we really felt like during the end of the year, we our guys, we wanted to keep them fresh. We were really getting mentally fatigued. So rest is really important to our program. And we've been really trying to force these guys to rest. We're done earlier than we normally are. And we're trying to convince them, even though they feel like they still want to be playing, that they've got to rest, not just physically, but mentally away from us. So we have a group me text that we all stay in touch on and all our assistants stay in touch with them. They're still taking classes online. So we're trying to just talk about academics. And we're, tr- we're going to try to get them one more week here where they don't play basketball because we really feel like they need it. 
and then we're going to begin Skyping um, with our strength coach and uh, and our assistants to just get them into workouts and try to find workout places. But believe it or not, we really believe in this rest thing, this this mental fatigue and, and mental rest, and we really feel like they need one more week. But we can tell with talking with them, they're battling to get into gyms. So it's it's actually a um, it's a, it's a it's a mental battle with them right now. More than anything, uh, best to you and your family. Stay safe, stay sane <laughs> throughout all this, and and uh, I know we'll all get through it. We will get through this, Andy. I think uh, as you and I talked about it, you try to find something positive in everything that happens to you. But this time, we can all spend with our family and our loved ones. Let's take advantage of it and just be thankful for all the health workers, man. I so much respect for what they're doing and 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 thanks to you too for just giving us some content to listen to way to keep working brother all right thanks jay take care buddy all right so this is a tough call the significance of magic bird versus chris jenkins dramatic shot the game itself for magic bird didn't come down to the wire uh this is too fresh in everyone's mind i was there I'm just going to have to go with Jenkins' shot. I think that advances to the lead eight. You know, the Magic Bird game, I think, was the first Final Four that I remember as a child uh, watching uh, in 79. So that's my first memory of college basketball is that Final Four. And now, because I grew up in Boston and seeing all the Magic Bird stuff growing up as a Celtics fan, uh, all that, you know, is still in my head. But i got to think about the voting, the fan base, and the drama, and I think Jenkins advances. All right, so who's opposite that matchup in the Elite Eight? Is it the 1983 NC State Jimmy V upset, or is it the historic nature of Texas Western in 1966? Well, got to go to one of the sources here. Derek Wittenberg launched the shot, NC State, 1983. Let's hear from him. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg, oh, it's a long ways. They won it. I'm the dunk. And now joining me here are March Madness 365, Derek Wittenberg, uh, who, of course, had an important role uh, in the uh, NC State 1983 upset of Houston. It's an iconic game moment in college basketball history and in our March Madness Moments bracket. Uh, That game, of course, now is into the Sweet 16 in an impressive foursome with Texas Western 1966. That's the next matchup. And then right below that, Magic Bird 79 and then the Chris Jenkins Villanova shot to end the 2016 National Championship game with Villanova's win over North Carolina. Uh, In any March Madness Moment bracket, for you, Derek, where is this game this moment? Wow. I mean, we, we got to be right in there because uh, obviously we helped set Villanova up for the, for the one in 2016. That was an unbelievable play. And then the, the one that Texas Western is the one that's really intriguing because that was one of the first major upsets that nobody – I mean, I was six years old when that upset happened. And uh, uh, that Texas Western beating Kentucky, Pat Riley's team, and, and that, that that great team they had with Adolph Rupp, it was unbelievable. Uh, I just think that uh, in this day and time, ours is the only one that even after 37 years that people are still talking about. Uh, and, uh, and, and to it, people are still talking about it, because of the, I would say, the surviving advanced film, because we keep, they keep showing it. So it reminds people of that great upset. So we should be uh, moving on and uh, in upset mood, like we've always been. And Andy, I think that the 83 team just, just keeps on trucking, surviving advance, baby. You know, to me, how much do you think it's the, it's the combination of the way in which you know, the shot goes down with, with Lorenzo Charles uh, in that dramatic fashion uh, that it came against 
Phi Slamma Jamma and everything they were about and and the historic NBA players that emerged off of that roster. And then add that to Jimmy V running around the court. It, it felt like all those things, you know, helped elevate the upset to, you know, this this mythical, you know, this sort of epic proportions. How much do you think all those factors have helped move it even more to the forefront of everyone's mind? I agree with all the, all those assessors, Andy. We work together at ESPN, so we've seen a lot of basketball, a lot of great upsets. Even prior to 1983, how many big upsets? There were some upsets, but there wasn't the, the kind of upset that we had. You know, when you're talking about beating Elijah Wan and Clyde Drexler, two of guys in the top 50 all-time in the history of the game, I don't think nobody else can claim that. And I think that's one that you mentioned that is big on everybody's minds. The popularity of Jim Valvano, the personality of Jim Valvano that came from nowhere. He wasn't a conventional coach. He had fun. We had a loose team. He was the ultimate players coach. So, I mean, with, with those two alone, that separates us. And then, it, it was the like NC State came from nowhere, and we shouldn't have come from nowhere because we were playing in the best conference in the country at the time, in, in my opinion, the ACC, which we played against the number one team in the country about six times that year. So, with all that said, I agree with a lot of, of the points that you made about why people remember that time and place, and it wasn't just the game, Andy; it was the run. People forget the run starting in the ACC tournament by upsetting the great Michael Jordan team uh, in the semifinals and then beating the three-time player of the year, Ralph Sampson. And then every game thereafter was a dramatic game, winning in the last section. Our first game against Pepperdine, Andy, was a double overtime game that we should have lost about three times. And we ended up advancing there. So beating the great Jerry, uh, the late Jerry Tarkanian, he had one of the top teams in the country, beating him in the next round. So every game was an, an upset for us. And then that, I think that's what made it special and separated from everybody. All right. One last thing. I'm very curious. Back to the actual shot and like that, that for, and I know you've documented this and survive in advance and just, you've talked about it before, but for these purposes, the, 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 maybe the, the possession or two before and those moments, what do you remember about the setup to this even being, you know, uh, um, uh, accomplished on that last shot? I think the biggest setup was, and, and, and I would start with that last play when they tied it up. So uh, part of the setup, let's go back and say that we took the lead and then Houston comes storming back. And then we somehow found a way to, you know, break their run. And we came back and tied the game. And I think the last play was the biggest, biggest setup because people forget we had to lead at halftime by eight. Uh, Houston regroups and soars, comes back, takes the lead. We had to come back. And then the last play after we tied it up, last play, that Houston actually, Guy Lewis doesn't get no credit. He came out with something smart. And he came out and had a 1-3-1 trap, which we did not expect in those 44 seconds. And for us to kind of figure it out when we were out there, they're in the trap, and we didn't look around and say, oh, hey, B, what do we do here? For us to be passing the ball around and, and trying to figure out a way to make a play was kind of a, a story that was untold. Because that takes some basketball knowledge, that takes some time and score and knowledge, and we were able to figure out, okay, yep, they in a one-three-one, but we got to move the ball around, pass it around until we get a good opportunity. And then there was a clock in my head once I received the basketball, knowing that I think that we we're running out of time here. And then all. All right. So when the shot is launched, what did you think? was going to happen, uh, you know, whether it was going to be short, missed. What, what was your quick, your, in that moment, as soon as the, the ball the moment, launched? The only thing I thought about, Andy, is making a play. You know, really, you know, Valvano used to always talk about this, and 
people don't evaluate the game sometimes this way. But basketball and sports is a reaction game. It's not a thinking game. You don't have time to catch the basketball and think, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, this is going to be a lot pass. I think you have to be – it's a reaction game. You catch, you make a play, and then you see what happens. So I didn't have time to think. Only thing I was, uh, only thing I was concerned about is that we got an attempt before that clock went out. That was the biggest thing in my mind. And obviously it all worked out. <laughs> survive and advance. All right, we'll see if the if the, this game can, can survive and advance against Texas Western uh, in our March Madness moment bracket. Uh, Derek, it is always a pleasure catching up with you. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you very much. And I, I want to beat Pat Riley. <laughs> I want to beat him. So let's go, folks. Let's beat Pat Riley. NC State, survive and advance. Be safe. All right, you too. Thanks, Derek. All right, so Wittenberg makes a great case for why survive in advance, why they should win this advance and get to the Elite Eight and beyond. This is a tough call. Um, more people have watched the Jimmy V run around the 1983 upset than Texas Western 1966. So I think that the fan base may lean that way. But I'm going to go with what I think it should be. And I think it should be Texas Western. So I think it should be Texas Western versus the Villanova shot in 2016. Once again, my head tells me that Jenkins shot will advance to the final four. My heart says it should be Texas Western. So I think the fans will put Villanova in, but I think they should put Texas Western in because of the historic significance of that victory. All right. So we've had a lot of fun doing this. This is now week two of our bracket. We'll see how the fan voting turns out. All right. And make sure that you get on to all our social media handles, all our March Madness social media handles and vote. Uh, Voting will start this weekend as if we had the tournament I hope everyone's enjoyed this, had fun bringing you the voices of people that were actually involved uh, in these moments or covered it in the case of Texas Western uh, and writing the book on it last week with Dan Wetzel. Uh, So, you know, just trying to give you that flavor of people who were there, who experienced, who maybe took the shot or coached it or what have you. And we hope to bring that to you again next week as we get to our final four. Appreciate our entire crew with Turner Sports that is putting this all together for us with the NCAA, great video highlights that we're showing on social media, some highlights people probably have never seen before. Such a thank you to CBS for rerunning those games over the weekend. I think that really helped you know, all, all of us that are trapped inside uh, over the weekend, missing the NCAA tournament uh, and can't give us normalcy, but at least give us a little taste of something. So really appreciate CBS programming doing that as well. So enjoy this round. Uh, as we get to our final four and our March Madness moments next week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Everyone, stay safe, stay inside. We'll get through this, and we will have the NCAA tournament for real in 2021, I believe it. So let's just uh, continue with this and have fun with it. Appreciate everyone. Check out all our social media handles covering this uh, on March Madness. Thanks for listening.